If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The Starter Edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. Hey, this is Carl. Are you struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues customers are reporting? Plug Raygun into your web and mobile applications right now and diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. Kiss goodbye to having to dig through log files and relying on frustrated users to report issues. Make your software development life so much easier using Raygun's error, crash, and performance monitoring tools. Every software team can create flawless software experiences for their customers with Raygun. Try it free today at raygun.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Still in London. And we like it here. We do. It's the weather is lovely. Yeah, and it's cloudy and cold. This is our third show that we recorded here. Next uh, next week will be the panel show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, no, we got oh, we got one more, more of that, and then uh, yeah, we got one more. Sandy but we're bars. off to Sweden after this too, and we'll get another show or two over there too. Yeah, so up in Stockholm, staying ahead of the game. Yep. Well, that's all we got to say, uh, except for the fact that we have this little matter of better know framework. So roll the crazy music. All right. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I went looking on Engadget UK today, and I found this uh, UK vehicle tracker. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so this is show 1676. So if you go to 1676.pwop.me, that'll take you there. And it's a little device that you can put in your car, and it keeps track of where your car is. And you can look it up on your smartphone if somebody happens to steal it. Or you, you know, want to track your children's driving habits or yeah, that's stalk an ex-wife. Usually <laughs> what people do with these things, right? Follow the the uh, the truck full of diamonds, you know? Exactly. All the basics. Yeah, attached to somebody else's car. That'd be more yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I haven't, you know, I don't even know how much it costs because it's like, you know, they have to. You have to ask how many vehicles, and you get a free quote. Oh, they walk blah, you blah, through blah. all these things, yeah. Right, so you, you have to qualify. Sort of a sales apparently. tool then, really, is what it you is. got. Yeah. But, you know, it is interesting, and um, I've looked for things like this before, not necessarily for cars, but for th- valuable things. Like um, a friend of mine has a, a trumpet that he believes came from Miles Davis. Oh, wow. And he wanted a tracker in it in the case that was hidden that it wandered off in case somebody stole it but um yeah trackers need batteries trackers need batteries so that's what is nice about a car is that it can just you know if you hide it in the right place you can connect it to the battery system you have a permanent power source a lot of cars have that stuff built in certainly the smartphones do yeah just leave a smartphone with a trumpet (laughs) (laughs) yeah it might be cheaper might be yeah it's funny anyway that's what i got who's talking to us today richard Grabbed a comment off of show 1607, which we recorded in December of 2018, so a little more than a year ago. And that was a show we did at the update conference in Prague with Carl Otz when we were talking about Azure Security Fails. Oh, yes. It was good fun. Well, it's like, you know, people have make this mistake of, well, I'm in the cloud, I'm safe now. And it's like, man, no, you got to still do some things. Safer. Safe, you know, you have tools available to you, at least to be safer. That's mm-hmm. true. And this comment comes from Stephen Brulard, and I hope I didn't trash your name too much, Stephen. He said, morning, guys. I've been a long-time listener since 2003, but this is my first comment. I know this guy. Do you? Yeah. He's a keto guy, too. Oh, that happens. Stephen Brulard from Connecticut. Oh, he's from Connecticut. Okay. And this has been my, uh, this podcast has been my go-to source for the industry, particularly in around the .NET space, where I tend to hang out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I listened to this episode on my commute to work. I spend a good time of my day in Azure now. So the show was very useful. I'm quite impressed with what Microsoft has done in terms of making, uh, securing your cloud-based systems easier. I do find, however, that sometimes I'm overwhelmed 
with the sheer number of things to potentially keep track of around proper security protocols and processes. Gee, that never happens. No. There's key fault for your certificates, passwords, and other secrets. There's the Active Directory service principles for authorizing different components to work together, whether PaaS or IaaS. Mm. Oh, and you can use principles to provide permissions to Azure DevOps to release to your various environments, too. And let's not forget that you can, and to some extent should, take control of the software-defined network to help lock down communications yeah. between services before authentication authorization even comes into the mix. Those are just some of the possible services, some of the ways you can use them to help secure your systems. Yeah. Did I mention that the guidance tends to change a bit as a new service options come become available? For example, when Key Vault really hit the scene, you heard all about storing your storage account connection strings or at least the access tokens there and pointing your app config to Key Vault to get it. And then when service principles came became the new hotness, all the guidance became to assign permissions to the principal associated with your service and use that technique to connect to storage. No need for tokens in Key Vault. Mm. In the end, as great as all this is, and as good as the Microsoft Docs have become, it would be very useful to have an evolving, quote, white paper in the Microsoft uh, Docs repository that you use to get an overview of the options, determine the best one for your use case, and finally link out to the implementation docs for all those options. Yeah. Sort of one-stop shop directory of your Azure security options to help you consistently follow best practices as your current system evolves and you begin, or and or you begin a new project, and as Microsoft changes their minds about stuff, right? right let's just right. add that editorialization in too. Oh, and by the way, I'm a big fan of the YubiKey products, and I hadn't been aware that YubiKey five was out. So when Richard mentioned it, I had to go get one. Yeah, and I have a whole bunch of YubiKey fives now. Goodness, uh, and thanks for putting out a great show, and uh, thanks for bringing Carl Otts on as well. Cool. Okay, and uh, and thank you, uh, Stephen, for for participating and for sending us that great comment and a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. If you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via Facebook, we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. They got facial recognition now. Did you know that, uh, you know, the latest iPhone has face recognition so you put in a passcode but yeah. if you just hold it up to your you know and look at it it's oh it's you it's carl we've right. him in it's like windows doesn't hello doesn't recognize me first thing in the morning though yeah, it's interesting what's up with that <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh no you need to enter the passcode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't know who you are right what have you done with carl <laughs> Well, anyway, I, I, I've, I, I like Stephen's idea of the, could we have a white paper? It's like, this is the current correct way. Yeah. But that also presumes that all the product teams actually get along enough to consolidate sure. on a right way. Yeah. Just consume their Twitter accounts, subscribe, and you'll find out. Yeah. Well, you certainly will be a witness to the purse fight between the different teams anyway. <laughs> store your stuff with me. Punk. No, store your stuff with me. Punk. There's not, there, I don't think there is one right way here. No. You know, there's many ways that potentially could work. Some more popular than others. Yeah, you need to try and make up your own mind. Well, let's bring Christine on here. I'm sure she's dying to get in on this conversation. Christine Seaman is from Omaha, Nebraska, where she works as a full-stack Ruby on Rails engineer at Flywheel, delightful WordPress hosting for creatives. She has 12 years' experience as a job engineer with a focus on APIs, testing, and microservices before they were cool. <laughs> <laughs> then to change it up, she took the plunge into Ruby in 2018. In her spare time, she's an avid reader, huge Rush fan, May Neil Pert, rest in peace, <sighs> and is attempting to work through the primary Ash Ashtanga Yoga series. That's correct. <laughs> ah, all right, so all three of us care about Rush, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's a serious musician and, and certainly has respect for the remarkable capabilities that Neil Peart had. And I'm a Canadian, so I don't have a choice. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's part of, you know, the oath to it's Canada. It's basic. It's like yes. hockey, Rush. Right? They, uh, maple required. syrup, too, right? And, well, we don't. Uh, Vermont has maple syrup as well. But, yeah. Uh, but so does Connecticut. I also, you know, what? I, I got to say this about the Rush guys. It's like... They never had the crazy meltdowns. Like they never threw a right. flaming Ooh. sofa out of an apartment building. Right. They, they're just a group of guys. Because they're Canadians. Yeah, I, I think that might be part of it. We do have our <laughs> meltdown bands too, right? I've never seen a Canadian meltdown. Is there? Not actually, no. But 
But the Rush guys just kept playing together. They did it for so, so many years. So, so long. Yeah. Uh, I actually had tickets uh, to the last uh, concert. Oh, my goodness. But I had my daughter less than four weeks before then. And I wasn't quite uh, ready. You weren't quite ready to be. Yes, to go to it. So, unfortunately, the tickets had to. uh, You gave them a good home, I hope. I tried to. Nobody wanted to take them, which was like, I know. I I had signed up for the Rush fan site to make sure I got the best tickets. Wow. And I have bought them for my husband mm. as a special uh, present, mm. and then and I couldn't even babies. use them. I know. This I know. Be a happens. great graduation story. <laughs> I still have the tickets. Like I kept. Oh, okay. I still kept them and everything. So <laughs> I, I can do that. And of course, so. I've watched the tour video as well as I have the CD and everything. But like, what's the child's I name? Uh, Hazel. Hazel Rush Blocker Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what we ended up with, but yes. <laughs> close. So close. Sorry, my Mondays is showing. Um, wow. All right. So, any comments on the comments that yeah. uh, Stephen wrote Steven's in? Still thinking about I, too much stuff in Azure? Oh, I don't know how much time you spend in Azure. I don't spend any time well, whatsoever in Azure. You don't have to worry but, about that problem. But uh, I do spend some time in app security. And yeah. his comment on uh, how much it is to remember yeah. and how complex it is and how it's like ever-changing. You know, they do a WASP top tens every year, hopefully. Yeah, but it's always like, SQL yeah, injection yeah, at number yeah, one and nobody yeah. can get past number one. Was it number one this last year? Ah, that's a great question. If it's actually moved, we should throw a party. It's yeah. been SQL injection for a decade or longer, 20 years. Or do they wait until the end of the year to do the OWASP yeah, top know. 10? Let's see what the current top 10 is. Yeah, yeah number one, injection. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a given because it's the easiest. I mean, they are literally tools built to check for injection vulnerabilities. And like, it's just one of those things that keeps on happening. And it's mostly, I mean, I would hope it's mostly old sites today that, that people are. You seeing. would think, I but love it's being like, an optimist, you know, it's the best. Yeah. Uh, good web application security pre- uh, practices really are. Um, it doesn't matter your tech stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of immune. And I, and I'm, I'm, enamored of this idea that you jumped into the Ruby world in 2018, mm. you know, not when it's not the hip language on the, on the block kind of right. thing. It's mainstream. People have been wildly productive for, for ages, but it's not dominating anything, but perfectly capable. Like I don't argue for a moment that that basic sentiment of like Ruby is a delightful language, like it a is. joy to write. It. it is. It's fun to write. And like, uh, I actually went to a Azure talk, Azure, Azure. Azure. He said, he says Azure, don't you? I don't know. I bounce between them. Sometimes I feel more Azure to me seems more European. I I think UK, they say Azure a lot more. Azure. Azure. (laughs) There, we wish pop down to France. Give a little French accent. There you go. (laughs) But I went to a talk. I went to that uh, a talk on that yesterday. Life is pain. Yeah, well, not on life is pain, but on Azure. <laughs> I'm not going to equate the two. They got nothing to do. Oh my Scott Guthrie has my phone number. It's so We're not even drinking. This no. is crazy. This is sober show making. Um, and one of the things that uh, she was showing was a lot of different code examples. Mm-hmm. And in it, I think it was C sharp. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of brackets and semicolons yes. going on there. I was like... I came from a Java background, so you know there are yeah, brackets and semicolons. But I have quickly adapted uh, to Ruby, and I've gotten used to uh, the short naming, yeah, and yeah. you know, like it's it's so nice to read. Like yes. I look at uh, like you know, you're scanning changes when mm-hmm. you change your text deck because mm-hmm. you have to kind of uh, change around your brain a little sure. bit, and then how you scan stuff changes. And so I'm not used to seeing all the you know, you have to have the declaratives as well as you know, like all the extra mess that goes yeah. with your method prototyping, I don't scan that well anymore. Right. It's just not there in Ruby. To. No, yeah. no. But the trait, of course, is implicit behavior. Yes. Right. And so, oh, yeah. They, like, they can be challenging to debug at times. It can. Like you, it's you really, it's your best guesstimate of which method you think it might be called. <laughs> <laughs> When you when you're That's, doing your debugging, uh, I just got a cold chill. That's like the <laughs> selling point. You got me. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like it, it's so flexible, and like it's it's easy to get started, mm-hmm. and like it's it, it. Well, I'm on a big monolith, so maybe it's mm. not quite as easy to get right. started. But coming from Java, it was didn't seem as complex. Oh well, we no, you know monolith. <laughs> <laughs> 
are you working in the security side of that project primarily, or is it just part of your regular workflow on top of writing features? It's kind of a part of my regular workflow yeah. uh, on top of uh, the features that I get to write. So I was involved with uh, doing a feature mm-hmm. for Flywheel and actually implementing two-factor authentication for them. Cool. Uh, I come from a web application security background in Java because I had this mentor, John Rogers, um, who was really into uh, like Google hacking and mm. a lot of those very uh, beginning web application security practices. Mm. And so it was something that he always very emphasized with uh, my mentoring that he did with me. And so uh, web application security was something that I always really took into account. I worked at a financial transaction software company, mm-hmm. as well as then I worked for a bank. So security is something they like to keep track of. Sure. They're kind of interested in security. Yeah. And so when I moved over to Flywheel and moved over to Ruby, one of the first features I wrote and worked on with them was the two-factor authentication. Yeah. And then when it came time to start talking, uh, somebody had come forward with, hey, you, you should try writing a talk. I was like, well, I'm not comfortable in Ruby. I've just been doing it for a month or two. Right. Yeah. And – then I was like doing the feature and I was like, well, this is really hard to find developer best practices on two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. You Google, you search for two-factor authentication and you get a whole bunch of articles that are like, you should enable it. Enable two-factor authentication. Like it's a checkbox. Use it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's awesome. But I'm actually trying to implement it. Yeah. I need developer best practices. Yeah. What's the right way to add? Yeah. And do you really use two-factor anymore or is it multi-factor? That's the thing. You know, uh, I see in the States, a lot of people refer to it more as 2FA. Right. But uh, I definitely see with international papers as well as it's kind of becoming more adapted as multi-factor authentication. Sure. Even though every single time you see a multi-factor, it uh, it refers to as that. It's just two factors (laughs) going on there. Or uh, if you're Google, it's two-step verification. Yeah. Or if you're lazy, it's 2F. Right. Because <laughs> they don't want to add in the A. <laughs> Even A is too much. <laughs> yeah. And so I got to kind of implement that for them. And I had just a lot of trouble finding the developer best practices. Mm-hmm. And so that's why my talk here at MDC London is on two-factor authentication. Cool. Yeah. And looking at it from those two perspectives, from a user perspective and looking at it from a developer's one. All yes. right. Hmm. And so when you, in the case of two-factor, what are the two factors? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you you expecting the user to do? Okay. Well, with your two factors, your first factor is your password. Initially, it's your username, password combo. That's your first, Mm -hmm. like, initial authentication. And then your second factor is some other choice. Yeah. It could be an email Mm -hmm. authentication. With a link. Yep. It could be a TOTP, time-based, one-time password. Mm -hmm. Right. Think about your Google Authenticator app. Yeah. Think about any of your apps that you or have. Or just your a phone. text message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then that's SMS. That's the, the last one. Mm. And so um, then there's also sometimes Apple does push-based mm-hmm. notifications. So think about when you log into your iCloud account. Mm-hmm. Then you get this push notification maybe on one of your other authenticated devices. Mm. And so, yeah, those are kind of the methods. Plus, oh, is that as really well, authentication? Is just like a notification of okay, you've logged into this? No, that is a, considered a second factor because okay. you have to actually have that physical device, right. so that acts as your second factor right. that right. you have that other authenticated device. Because it does ask you to take a step. It just it may push the message to you, but then you still have it, to it do pushes it the message, and then it usually has. Uh, Allow Did you log yeah. in to right. this account? Do you, is this allowed this is okay. to log in? Press you know okay right. or not ignore. Right. And then as well as you were talking about token-based authentication, right. the UB keys, the uh, Titan keys, that yeah. kind of thing. So I work uh, part-time for this company that in order to do any consulting for them, you have to use their laptop. So they send me a laptop. Okay. Before, when it even boots up, there's just a white screen with a put in your password thing. And if that password is wrong, you're not even booting Windows. Does and it if, start on fire? No. <laughs> that would be a good feature, however. <laughs> And I would expect that from, you know, all the Fort Knox that's around this computer. But if you get that wrong three times, mm-hmm. you have to phone in and, you know. It just locks the machine it's, up. It's, you're just locked out. So once you log in, there's VPN. So you can't do anything on the internet, on the network or whatever until you get in the VPN, which is a different password. And then you, the VPN calls your, you know, there's an app on your phone that 
runs and you have to do the 2FA and say, yes, allow this. At that point, you're you're actually in multi-factor authentication yeah, land. Absolutely. You haven't just uh, like done one factor of authentication. You did multi. Yeah, they take it pretty seriously. Uh-huh. Like and, and just to be on a Teams call, you have to be on that laptop. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. every And there's no Google on the laptop. There's no Facebook. Like, they lock you they out. They probably lock down no you from doing a zip drive on there, too. Oh, yeah. Like, like you, plugging in and You can't call a remote. Oh, you can call an RDP. Yeah. But what was the other thing you can't do? Um, yeah, that's right. You can't, you can't uh, do remote. You mm. can't. Yeah, it's not good. And, and the question is... Do you want to use that machine? Like never. You, I you, never. You, I have yeah. no incentive to use this machine. Yeah. You do everything you can to work around that. Like I think it's one of these huge issues here. Is yeah, you can get an IT guy with a tinfoil hat on to concoct these sophisticated sets of protections, mm. and then the people just won't use it. It's like yeah. what you told me is don't use this. Yeah. That's actually one thing I like to emphasize mm-hmm. that uh, getting users to opt into optional security doesn't have a great amount of buy-in. Sure. Uh, let's talk about Google. So they have their two-step verification process that's yeah. been around since 2015 or so. Right, right. And it's something that's, you know, doesn't have great adoption rates. So there was this uh, talk from one of their security engineers back in 2018, and he was talking about what the adoption rate is on this two-step ver- verification uh, mm. service for Google. Do you want to guess what the number is? Like 10%. It is. You wow. got it right on. And uh, it's just that, you know, it, you think about this, it's been yeah. around for so long and it's, right. you know, it's Google. So it's like, it's well known about, it's actually very well designed, yep. it's easy to use, yep. they talk about it, and they still can only get 10%, 10% of their users to opt into this. Yeah. So if Google can only get 10% of their users to opt in, what, how about most applications? Right. Uh, yeah. So well, yes. much less misimplemented, like mm. problematic implementations. Yeah. So uh, one of the talks yesterday here at NDC London uh, from Stefan Yokol Segunderson. Mm-hmm. I hopefully I didn't uh, miss that name up too much. He was talking about how uh, at Eve Online how they protected their uh, users there. Right. And what is Eve Online? Just it's a uh, massive multiplayer game. Oh, okay. One of the oldest, two thousand three. It's been around a long time. So they actually had to uh, implement their own two-factor authentication um, and authentication methods for a while. And so they were using kind of a player callback. So if you had to do your uh, kind of your verification step was actually knowing your player's name. Right. Hmm. And that kind of worked for a while because how they implemented this was even before, you know, a lot of the typical 2FA methods Stuff were even existed. going on. Yeah, like literally yeah. they started back in 2003. Yeah. The, the internet was a kinder, gentler place. Yeah. And so they've done a lot of stuff around customer adoption to kind of uh, be flexible. Sure. Where you can with the security on um, allowing multiple accounts for one user to uh, kind of have that shared secret key. Right. And so then you only have to do one verification code kind of per multiple accounts. Nice. And so like... And but they did build their own back then. And yeah. And like, he, I think that it's definitely adapted since then. But with them, they worked up to 10% adoption. Wow. And so that's, you know, when you're talking about the adoption rates and, you know, making it flexible and getting users to use it. Yeah. You still this, are not this looking 10% at great. number doesn't seem that crazy, right? No, it doesn't. And even online is one of the few massive multiplayer games that lasts as long as it has because it has kind of a working economy. Oh, uh, yes. And, oh, yeah. And, and when things are destroyed in the game, they stay destroyed. So, like, there's real value. People build up resources and things and can sell them for real money. Like, wow. Well, but, that's discouraged, point, though. Yes. <laughs> but the point being... Account stealing can represent significant value loss. It's not mm. quote unquote just a game, right? Like no, there not are folks, to the players. Not, right. Yeah, and not to what they've earned. Like you mm-hmm. can't easily replace a stolen account. Yeah. Wow. So for them, you know, user and account security is a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of time and effort and like uh, just ingenuity yeah. that they've applied to kind of uh, doing that was it was a wonderful talk. I can't wait to watch yeah. it again. <laughs> and, and, and just an interesting idea. Like on one one hand, if you're not enamored of the game, and the, you know, Eve is the kind of game where the argument is you win the game 
when you are capable of stopping playing it because <laughs> it is kind of one of those suck you in forever kind of games. Apparently. Um, but I think for people who don't play the game, don't understand the strength of the culture around it. It may be an interesting study in security, but it, it but it comes from a really good place of they really, that whole business would collapse if account stealing was prevalent. It just would not make sense. It wouldn't last. So the fact that they have succeeded and continue to function as long as they have says a lot about mm -hmm. study the security model and how well they've done. I mean, just resisting hacking the game itself, much less hacking the accounts. Mm. They've done really well on all of that. Then again, it's, it's interesting to see. It's just, they hand-rolled multi-factor mm -hmm. years yeah. before the rest of us were thinking about it. Because I, I got to hope the tooling's better now. Like, it's not that hard. To get multi-factor. Yeah, the, uh, so I did the, the Ruby implementation, right. and there's lots of gems. So those are kind of what our libraries are called yeah, yeah. around to help out with that. So if you need help with uh, generating that TOTP key, if you need help, you know, implementing like uh, calling off it to an SMS provider, mm -hmm. say Twilio, something like that. And um, there's a lot of different help out there as right. well as there's some structure and documents around it, but it's it's very kind of compartmentalized on this it. doesn't like, seem like a library where the checkbox okay i have mfa no done. you had to go get a totp no. library yes. you have to configure it correctly you need some kind of generation mechanism that works against your server like these are client pieces server pieces off pieces like that's it's true. not simple ingredients well like and but what we were doing was kind of a roll your own solution we were right. you know do, doing it ourselves. yeah so with some libraries to help you. yes yes but there's definitely vendors out there to actually buy that solution to the buy, off uh, zeros of the world kind of thing yeah and mm. uh um, Okta, right. Okta, Okta. Uh, I can mm -hmm. never pronounce it. Yeah, Okta, Okta, Okta yeah. and Duo are yeah. uh, some of the most well known. There's a, a couple others, like I think Ping Identity's got something out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think TransUnion, uh, they have a company that has uh, some stuff out there. So there's definitely two FA solution providers. It just right. depends on if you're doing it yourself or you're going to buy it. Mm -hmm, you know, I you're going to pay either way. And yeah, <laughs> and and there's got to be a strong case against rolling your own. Because you could make mistakes. Like the more that's true. That's the more true. out of the can this is, the more likely it is I've, I've implemented it correctly. But then you are tied to a direct vendor relationship that you have to rely on their own security. I would point out that the OAuth top ten lists, the OWASP top ten list number two is authentication misconfiguration. That's true. <laughs> But it is it's, easy enough to uh, misconfigure when you're doing a vendor implementation of application too. Sure, is that <laughs> list uh, a list of uh, things that go wrong? Security vulnerabilities, Security like vulnerabilities. And sort of ranked. Yeah, right. Yeah. SQL injections always has been in the top four years right. and years and years. But it's interesting to see authentication misconfiguration is the next yeah, one. So, is. which to me says because I, I don't think it's always been that high that more people are attempting to install more and develop more sophisticated security implementations around their software and failing. Yeah. Mm. Like that they're making mistakes that turn make a new class of vulnerability essentially. And yeah, and that's one thing that uh maybe there needs to be more developer best practices mm -hmm. around that. Maybe OWASP uh should better support some of the developers who are out there looking for some of this because it's not always uh good to go straight to a vendor solution, sure. especially if you are already providing like your own kind of uh, solutions and like they don't mm -hmm. always integrate well yeah. with maybe your tech stack. Maybe they don't integrate well with how your application is. Maybe you don't need a single sign on solution. Sure a lot not. of these two FA uh, vendor providers, they like to also provide single, single sign on. If you single don't need that. was this Holy grail for years and years and oh, years it was. <laughs> until, until the password hack got so bad, it's like single sign-on just makes it easier for hackers to get more of your stuff. Mm -hmm. right. And remember when like use your Google login or use your Facebook login seemed like a good idea? That that's isn't that the OAuth there? Yeah. Well, that's oh, an OAuth yeah, implementation. Yeah, yeah. But you know, again, you get into mm -hmm. that that now we, we did an app for humanitarian toolbox, so you know, literally doing a charity app, mm -hmm. working with the Red Cross volunteers. And we gave them the option to use their Facebook login. They're like, no, no, I'll make a separate username and password because I don't trust you guys enough and you're right. sitting right in front of me. <laughs> like, well, I don't trust Facebook. So that's yeah. why I don't use the well, Facebook login. <laughs> you're, you're clearly you're not alone. Not alone. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting that we've had all these different tools. Like, it's not like we've been marching neatly towards a path of security. We've been ex trying these different things. And they haven't been going well. Like they all come up with new problems. And I think like 
doing your own 2FA implementations, not at the same level as doing your own encryption. Yes. Right. <laughs> as in not that <laughs> crazy. Same thing, you know, with uh, doing your own login mechanism. Mm-hmm. They, those are just These very are tied known. together. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, sometimes do it yourself on the 2FA is the better approach. You just have to keep certain things in mind, especially all that OWASP top 10 authentication uh, sure. problems that don't are going make, on there. Make, don't make those mistakes. Yeah. Um, be, you know, and again, I, I would think using known quality libraries is mm-hmm. probably a better bet. But you still, you're going to have to write your own code. You are. Degree. And like that's why as developers, that's uh, one thing I've always kept in mind is good web application security best mm-hmm. practices. Right. As you as a developer can help secure your users. Right. Make you, it make the path of least resistance smart security. You encourage them to have uh, good passwords. Mm-hmm. We can't always set the password for our users, although that would be wonderful sometimes. But <laughs> uh, you have to encourage them with... A, Quality password practices. Right. So you think about, look at GitHub with how they do their passwords that they uh, accept. They usually have a minimum length. Yep. They don't really have a maximum length. Yes. That's, That's wonderful. That's aggravating to it, me, right? Yes. Yeah. Number of site, because now that I have LastPass and 30 character passwords, what do I care? It, and then, if, then you quickly find out their sites so just like, oh no, your passwords must be longer than eight characters. But no longer than twelve. I know, and then what? that's so dumb. Isn't it? No longer than twelve. What are you saving bytes in your database? <laughs> and Stupid. with that, uh, that uh, just causes lower entropy. So yes. if you want good password, you yeah. want high entropy. And entropy is not necessarily just length; mm-hmm. it's also randomness. Right. And so if you, uh, so you want to have a web application, you want your password pro- uh, policy to be good at having high entropy. Yeah. And so that's why I love GitHub's password policy. It's a great example of a password policy that allows for high entropy mm-hmm. because it allows for long passwords, but it also doesn't limit the character set. Right. The bigger your character set, the larger the entropy. Right, for and per so, character. Yeah, and so then your password uh, manager can do its job Without having to change your password policies to only be 12 characters yeah. or something. Allow no, for 30. And, and no specials, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allow for special characters because that makes a greater entropy because yeah. you have a greater character set. <laughs> so the, these are the things we need to be thinking about as developers as we mm-hmm. implement this. It's like, I'm not going to say unlimited length. No. Like, let's no. set it. 128? Is that enough? 128 is like, uh, very reasonable. I, but until it's not, though. That's, that's true. The thing. Why? Why? Why skimp? Yeah. What are you really saving? Yeah. Well, especially when you're doing a password hash. Yeah. So no matter what you're uh, actually uh, inputting. Length is, you're going to hash it anyway. That's true. And you're making sure you're using your adaptive one-way function. So you're not even just hashing it. You're using a super hash. Right. So you're using bcrypt. You're using one of those argon twos. Mm-hmm. You're using one of the OWASP uh, suggested password hashing uh, functions. Mm. And so there's so much that we can do as developers to protect our users. Right. And you can see some of what's gone wrong if you look at what's been happening with Nest. You've been seeing how what's been happening with Ring. Those are some things that what's developers... What's been happening with Nest and Ring? Okay. So there's been a series of hackers. And I think it was actually a hacking pa- podcast for a while with, that was doing bounties on this. That uh, they were actually hacking uh, cameras for real users who had their cameras indoors, say in their child's bedrooms, and then they were hacking those cameras because they're internet enabled without very good password policies Mm -hmm. and did not have two-factor authentication enabled and were able to talk to the customer's kids. Because the cameras have two-way voice. And see the video. See the video and communicate with the child. That's crazy. It's a little disturbing. Yeah. It is disturbing. Yes, and but that's one thing as developers, we can do that more was to... Ring or that was, that was Nest. Nest? Both, actually. So isn't Nest like an Apple company? No, it's a Google company. Oh, yeah. Google, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't, you know... But come on, yeah, guys, They really have doing? no excuse. No, they, they well, have no excuse. Right now, they're, I have a few Nest cams for wildlife. Yeah. So you can talk to the blue heron if you want. Right. Uh, although I do have 2FA turned on. But they... They Nest had their own account system, which was very primitive. It was like the owner and everybody else. 
What's the thermostat? That's Nest thermostat. That's also, also Nest. there are things right. as well, so you can turn my heat up and down if you can. Right. Hack you that. have one of those. That too, one, right? I don't know if they've been hacking that, but it's definitely been the cameras. The cameras are right, and it's because you have all those effects because they all have two way. Actually, remember that camera that I talked about on the, the show? Wise camera. The Wise camera that yeah. turns out to have been hacked. got hacked too. Everything's got a yeah. risk to being hacked, and it's these. You've got to write these in code, but you were talking about what's the problem with Google. Right now, the only thing Google is doing is driving all Nest Cam users to use Google accounts instead of their accounts, but with no additional security. Yeah, and at that point, they can emphasize to make sure that the two-step verification's on because uh, Google accounts do have good security practices around them. But it's just that there's more that they could have done to protect their users from being exposed like that. Yeah, right. Well, and, and it's like... Give me a feature other than change your account to the same mm. a Google account. Right. Like if they gave me more granular security, I would be all over that. Mm-hmm. I get you don't want to keep developing a separate code base and you have better security practices over here, but they're just not giving me anything other than you have to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just you, you get back to the same things. Like be kind to your users. Being protected isn't their primary motivation. Right. No, they right. want to. They want to use the I application. I want to use your product. Right. My mother-in-law would like to be able to see the camera where the bear keeps walking by. Right. <laughs> the problem is you've got a single tier where she can actually accidentally account- delete all account access to that camera Oops. too. <laughs> so okay, we're not going to do that. Yeah, right. and, and like so, if you allow other logins, your super user yeah, should, should have different to- uh, security. Give me, give me a reloading account. Like that's all they want. They don't want to be responsible for possibly changing the configuration on the camera. It's, it's just, these are not hard problems. No. And this is working in the basic psychology of how do we help people protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, as a developer, you want to make sure that you uh, give them the good pass, uh, password policies. Policies, yeah. Because those policies, that's your first step in your authentication. You, 2FA is not going to help you if your password sucks. Yes. Yep. You have to have a good password first. That is your first line of defense as sure. a user. Mm-hmm. That's your first line of defense as a developer. Mm-hmm. So have good password policies. And then second, with your 2FA, allow them to have multiple options for how they do 2FA. Ha- actually enabling 2FA is a great step. Right. But it's even better if you give stuff better than t- SMS. Just SMS. Yeah, right. Well, S- SMS is okay. Right. But that's actually the most vulnerable to FA. Wow. Sure. If one's going to get hacked, it's going to be the SMS. Yeah. There's multiple ways of hijacking that. Mm-hmm. You got your SIM swapping. You got your, um, you could do a attack actually through the wireless network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, it's been proven and not recommended since 2016 by NIST to use uh, SMS to right, factor out there are vulnerabilities. Yes. Uh, so that's why you have to at least provide the app-based or the TOTP-based. Right, right. And that's, you know, at a minimum. If you can do push notification, that one's nice Even too. Better. But ideally, you want the token-based. Yeah, token-based right. is where it's at. That's yeah. been the considered the, the most secure. The YubiKeys. That's the, YubiKeys. That's Titan Keys. Right. The, there's like the do-it-yourself keys. Mm-hmm. There's a, literally tons you can find. Does that use tokens as well? Token. That's actually considered soft token. So that's in the TOTP right. type. Oh, okay. Yeah, LastPass yeah. has it. So I, I do a lot of app-based. And um, yeah, LastPass has it. Mm-hmm. 1Password has it. Mm-hmm. And so just at least provide those yeah. to your users so they can have it enabled. And then while it, for enabling it and providing like user information on it, make sure it's easy to read. Yeah. Make sure they know about it. Make sure it's super visible. So they, if they want to enable it, if they want to opt into it, they know exactly where to go to. Right. And they, and you got a good path for actually utilizing it. Mm-hmm. And I would interrupt for a moment for this very important message. You know, client-side Blazor should be baked by May, according to Microsoft. Now's the time to jump into server-side Blazor so you'll be ready. Spend an entire day with me building a real app, complete with components, API controllers, authentication and authorization, JavaScript, Interop, and SignalR. The next classes are this Monday, December 16th, and again on Friday, January 3rd. If you can't make either of those dates but still want to learn, you can purchase the materials, which guide you step-by-step with text, screenshots, and code that you can copy and paste. You also get an eight-hour screen video from the last workshop, 
so you can follow along at your own pace. Go to blazer.appvnext.com and get the goods. Hey, Carl and Richard here. We'd like to tell you all about the upcoming conferences NDC is hosting all around the world. NDC DevOps Oslo will be March 11 to 13. Go to ndcdevops.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is April 1st through 3rd. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto will be April 21st through the 24th. So go to ndcporto.com to register. And check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. And we're back. This is Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. It's Dot Rocks. We're here at NDC London. We're talking to Christine Seaman and talking about enabling, I mean, some intelligence security features in your applications, multi-factor certainly being a part of it. Where do you fall on this idea of passwordless? Like, what if we actually stopped needing passwords that we use these other factors as our security models? Like biometrics? Well, like biometrics are another two-factor, right? They could enter yeah. a password and then let's kick your thumbprint or your, you know, the, the Windows hello stuff that mm-hmm. will scan a face. Although, again, that depends on certain kinds of hardware. But I'm wondering if you did two-factor, like use an authentication engine and a, and a text message, right? Or, or, you know, those, or a YubiKey and a, and, and a text message. Yeah. So that you just got rid of people needing to remember passwords, use a password manager, like that whole thing. Like passwords are weak. They're just a bad way. They can be strong, but you're right. Most yeah. of the time, passwords are pretty weak, especially passwords that people remember. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to think that people always use passphrases that with four unconnected words, let's say the correct uh, staple horse battery. Oh, she's pulling the XKCD I am pulling the XKCD. But they don't. And I don't know. Yeah, they like, just make their passwords I, yell by I, adding an exclamation to the <laughs> end, right? I think you are going to pr- uh, not be able to pry usernames, passwords away from OWASP with like their cold, dead hands. <laughs> uh, I I think it's interesting thinking yeah. about if if the two factors were maybe the two factors weren't a username password, right. but. That's kind of ingrained in application culture. I, that's like without a doubt, and, and that's you know, just this, wacky. <laughs> and, and then this is me wearing my IT hat, where change is good. You go first. <laughs> uh, like, give me a Google or a Facebook or an Apple or a Microsoft to take one of their products and say, "Hey, we're not going to do yeah. username and password right. anymore. You need to have one, two of these, you know, seven things, and you can log into this service." Yeah, that, that's interesting. That would apply it give it a lot more flexibility around it except for in the morning when yeah, right. uh, your face is no longer recognized yeah, by your biometrics well, it's interesting that after that second eye opens yeah it's kind of everything's fine after that like so you need two versions of yourself you need regular carl and eyeless carl right all but right i can't feed it to multiple actually you do feed it multiple images but you have to like rotate the phone around your head so and move your here's head. a question what if you made two accounts right so there's Fully awake Carl and not so awake Carl account. Right. And you only get to get to that if you've stayed up late the night before. <laughs> exactly. You're not going to see the account otherwise. And then it's going to give me some moral lecturing on, you know, the evils nice. of when, drinking too much. Are you being your best self? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Was it worth it, yes. Carl? <laughs> God's flashlight is upon God's you. God's flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's interesting to think in terms of the, all of those items and what. I I just wonder if we can get to a place where people are delighted to yeah. log in. Yeah, that yeah. that would be you know the end goal. Yeah. You know, to have users who want to opt in yeah. to security, we're not there. No, clearly, <laughs> it's something that which. Hopefully, it is at the forefront of a lot of users' minds right. when they are using these services, but. Who knows? <laughs> Part of the thing, I almost lost my YubiKey on my trip here, as in dropped it on the ground at one point. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now, I have spares. Mm-hmm. But you know what I haven't done? I haven't sat in front of my machine with no YubiKeys and said, now, what can I get to? Yeah. How can I recover? Yeah, you could should pen test yourself. I think I should. I, I haven't done this yet, is to take one of my machines and go, because there are mechanisms for I don't have my YubiKey. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Le- okay, let me scale the mountain. Ask me anything. Yeah, and sometimes that's actually where the vulnerabilities are at. Right. You know, the I forgot my password link. Yeah. I forgot my verification code link. Right. 
those right. usually had do have a lot of vulnerabilities associated with them on like how they actually work. Sure. Like if I just have to put in my password again and my, or maybe I just have to put in my email address and you're going to send me something, but my email has already been hacked. Right. I'm already compromised. Like I'm just compromising myself. And now I'm actually getting around that second factor of authentication that's supposed to help me. You know what right. I like when I go to a country such as England and I have a new phone and I try to sign up for like an eSIM service and they're like, great. Here's your authentic. We just texted you this uh, code. authentication <laughs> code. So go ahead and you yeah, know, tell us yeah. what that is. <laughs> yeah, and that's at what point it's good to have the flexibility with your authentication methods. To but email, right? but yep, yeah, send it to email. But then you know, some there's kind of is email actually a second factor of authentication? Because no, I do like it for notifications. Like yeah. it doesn't make me unhappy when I log into Twitter mm-hmm. in England mm-hmm. and I get a separate email that goes, "Hey, there was a login on yep. this machine in this unusual location. If mm-hmm. this is not you, like you should follow this path." Yeah. Yep. I, I, you're talk about the few times you're delighted by security. Yeah. That's one of those times. Yeah. You get an email that says, oh, they're paying attention. Yeah. And like I just redid a lot of my two factor authentication codes because I was going to replace my battery. Mm-hmm. And so I was accounting for, cat- you know, catastrophe with, uh, me doing my own battery placement. Right. And mm-hmm. by me, I mean my husband. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so in case, Stuff went south. Yeah. I made sure that I had, like, I thought to myself, if I lost my phone, what would screw my life up? And it was my two-factor authentication and my photos. Right. Yeah. Photos are backed up, like, automatically to two different services. I wasn't worried about those. But my 2FA, which was on a Google Authenticator app, does not have a web-based component. Right. Oh. It's on your phone. Yeah. Right. And And so so, if your phone's gone, you've got a problem. And since I talk about 2FA, I actually have 2FA enabled on every single service that allows me to do it. So it took me to some time to move those over to a different application. (laughs) I do do think in terms, because I have had the experience of your laptop bag is gone. Mm. What do you have? Yes. And so there's certain things like... I carry my passport in my jacket. Mm-hmm. I carry my YubiKey in my pants. Mm-hmm. Right. And because I would hope if I lost all of those things that there is no way back on. Like mm-hmm. in some ways it's reasonable to say, what's the threshold where it's like, you can't get into that account, right? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like uh, with one password, you have your big old password. Right, your master password. Your master password. You yeah. can't get that password. No. Like they have it hashed. They can't tell you they what, don't it know is. what it is. There is no forget your password link with one password. With one right. pass. I and forgot my password pass. with one password. Like, and they're oh like, well. nope. Yeah, I guess you can that make another account yeah. and then like create a new password and then we'll transfer, help you transfer stuff. Well, you, you yeah, the thing is you could set up a new account just like you could set up a new service mm-hmm. and then go to each of the services you care about and start their password recoveries one at a time and slowly rebuild your and, password collection. Yeah, and it's one of those things that if this was a hacker doing it, it's good to have that friction. It, yeah, it's that's the friction you want. It makes yes. the bad guy have a tough day too. Yeah, but when it's you as the user, yeah, you're going to have a tough day. But I also think from a user's perspective, you can accept that. This is what protection looks like. Yes. Yeah, it just uh, it's hard to get past the but it's making it harder for me to use my application that I want to. Yeah, I think I think what I'm trying to get at is how do we give users confidence in the re- reasonable recovery strategies? Mm. So they're not afraid to use these things, mm-hmm. right? I mean, first thing I learned if I, as I started going down the YubiKey path is one shall not own one YubiKey. Yep. You have to get a minimum of two, I a think. Minimum of two and two's barely enough, yeah. right? <laughs> like I just, after playing with it for a while and sort of thinking through things and experimenting a little bit, I'm like, I need four of these, <laughs> right? Because there's, so there's one that I've, you know, coded and locked up. It's like sort of the backup one where it's like, yeah, I may be locked out of my machine on the road, but when I get home, I know there's a key there that will save me, right? And and it's that kind of sort of ritualized thinking of we have recoveries. But that's not your typical user. Yet, right? Yet. And that's the thing. It's like Yet. I want us to... I want us to encourage the use of things like YubiKeys in our organizations, but I wonder if part of that is showing 
here are the consequences of losing it. Yes. It's not that your work is lost. It's that you are impaired for a while. Mm -hmm. So don't lose it. That's dumb. Mm -hmm. But don't worry. Like the company has not been materially harmed when you lose a key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That there is a recovery strategy and it's vaguely humiliating for you. Mm -hmm. Don't lose your key. And a lot of time, you know, we kind of talk about user education Mm -hmm. around that. And like, maybe that's something that we still need to keep on working on with our users is to letting them know what happens. And like, that's kind of like when we implemented two-factor authentication, we provided a lot of guidance around what this is for, what it's doing, as well as what are your exact steps to do this, as well as guiding through when you disable it, you actually have to put in your password again. Right. That's Mm -hmm. helping to prevent a man-in-the-middle attack. Mm -hmm. And if somebody got into your session and then they uh, were trying to make it easier for them to hack your account and just disable 2FA, maybe they don't have the password. Mm. Right. So it's all about the friction, but friction means usually worse user experience. Yeah. And and I like when you give me additional security friction because I'm doing something out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the geography you expected. I'm not in the machine you, you expected. I'm maybe even not using the software you expected. Don't lock me out. Mm-hmm. Just give me a way. But give me friction. Give yeah. Me a little friction. Which is also a way of reminding you, you, know, reminding you I am paying attention. Right. You are doing something unusual, right? The 80% case should be as low friction as possible. You're on your usual machine in the usual location with the usual behaviors. Mm. Yeah, let me not interrupt you. Mm -hmm. But as soon as anything's odd, Mm. let's ask a couple of extra questions. Yep, and And that's... And pop a couple of other, hey, your account's got some weird activity on it. Mm. Yeah, Mm. and as developers, we can uh, set those policies. Sure. We we can decide when we're implementing our two-factor authentication... When should we prompt for a new verification code? Mm-hmm. Should we do it every new IP address? Mm. Should we do it for every 30 days? Right. Should mm. we do a combination? Should we do it when it's a new browser agent? And yeah. so all yeah. of those have to be taken into account. And they have been taken into account, you know, with the Google service and quite a few others. It just those aren't really out there until you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Right? And you've got to experiment with it. Like, yes. I do not need United Airlines' website asking me for additional authentication ever again. I don't recognize this device. Oh, right. It's been 15 minutes. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just constant. And they're relatively yeah. low r- r- friction requests. Mm-hmm. But it's still a waste of time. I no longer feel safe. Mm-hmm. I feel their security policy. These are stupid. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and uh, it's just it's about balancing that. And yeah. that, uh, to balance it, you have to know your users. Mm-hmm. Like the EVE Online, the thing with them is they have users that have usually a lot of accounts or several hundred accounts. Sure. And that's common. Yeah. And so you don't want to have that with your users have to have a different 2FA For code. every account. For it's, every it account. It impossible. And so yeah. they kind of balanced that and allowed users to share the token. A, a token. Yeah. And so it's about knowing your users so you can kind of do the trade-off of user experience and security. That that getting the users to opt into 2FA is more important than having some rigid policy that every person has to have their own shared secret key. Right. Can we talk a little bit about the authenticator apps? Because I think there's lots of confusion around, like, which one should I use? Okay. Is there really any difference between using a Google authenticator, uh, a Microsoft authenticator, a LastPass authenticator? Nope, nope. They're pretty much all the same thing. So, TOTP is time-based, one-time password. Right. And so, that's a shared metric key that's uh, been created for since a... HMAC algorithm. So this was something that was published by the Internet Engineering Task Force. Right. And it just creates the shared symmetric key. And so your uh, actual application, your app, and then the server have that shared uh, key. Right. public key. Yep. And, well, it's a private key, but they're the same thing. The only difference is one's private, one's public. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's that shared private key, and usually how you get onto the app from the server is through the QR code scanner. That's why you have to do the QR code. And then sometimes if you just do the click that I don't want to scan it, or it usually has that list of numbers and Mm. letters at the bottom, that's the shared private key. Okay. And so any TOTP application, Google Authenticator and such, all kind of works the same way. It's just depends on who you like. You know, some of them provide backup, which can be nice. But then you also have two different points at which a hacker could get your TOTP shared private key. Yeah, okay. And so that's why Google Authenticator, I think, went with the route that the TOTP app is on the phone, which is on the phone. Right. And that's all you got. It's the phone. Well, I know Amazon has their 2FA. They send you a code by text. 
Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the SMS uh, two-factor yeah. authentication yeah. method. But they call it an OTP. Just yeah, one-time, one-time password. password. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll yeah. see that too. Yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. of acronyms. We're tech people, so we have to have lots of TLAs. Right. Three-letter <laughs> acronyms. But also having marketing people wanting to make their product distinct whether it is or not. Yeah. It's almost like they wrap it in additional language. I, and I asked the question about the authenticator apps because it does seem like they're more or less the same. Mm-hmm. And people tend to pick the one that they're using the most products of. So if you're heavily tied into the Microsoft stack, using a Microsoft Authenticator means that when you use those Microsoft products, they're very low friction to interact with. Yes, and like getting the users to opt into them, whatever is low friction, I think is a good thing. Sure. Like I actually have uh, adapted to one password. Right. That's my password manager, but it also allows me to have OTP codes in it. Mm -hmm. It uh, means my the amount of friction I have is pretty low for mm-hmm. logging into stuff. Yeah. It's something I appreciate. Sure. Yeah. And as well as then you're also maintaining the unique password per site, easy yes. to change passwords, like all the emotionality around passwords is really interesting. It's mm-hmm. like, I've, I feel very liberated having switched to password manager several years ago. Now just being aware, like I love password I simply managers. don't know passwords anymore. They yeah. are no longer in my head. Beats me. Uh, but like it is uh, a little bit hard when you actually maybe have your password manager on your phone and you're on a different computer oh, yeah. and you have to manually type out that 30 character set going on there and you go, Oh, Oh, that's what my password is. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and yeah, and, or, and then, it, you know, if I'm trying to get a password, I've done that where machine tanked, needed to use somebody else's machine, uh-huh. needed to log in the last pass, uh-huh. had to remember the master password, which yeah. was which, extensive. Which, don't forget that. Yeah. Don't forget that. It's a sentence yeah. for me. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Right. And, that's a passphrase. Yes. <laughs> and then it's, and then they still needed the YubiKey on top of that. Oh, too, my goodness. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Which, in the end, the YubiKey is acting like a keyboard when you plug mm-hmm. it into a USB device, and it mm-hmm. certainly sprays a and, But a YubiKey now has Bluetooth, right? Uh, there, is a blue, there is a, and I have the five, which mm. has acts as a keyboard when you can plug it in USB, but also has NFC. Mm. Oh, so, yes. Okay. So NFC. LastPass on my phone mm. on a regular basis mm. demands, it locks my passwords up again. It's like, give me that UB key. Nice. It's a bink. Yeah. So it's, but it's not every time. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. No, no. It, it, and that verification code, that asking for that verification shouldn't be every time. That's adding a little bit too much friction. Too much, yeah. That every time I want to log into something on my phone, I have to also tap the UB key. We'd- Although, frankly, that's something that we could uh, provide our users. If they want to be prompted for the verification code every single time sure. they log in, they should be allowed to do that. I know there's definitely services out there that I've seen that, mm-hmm. like the, you know, should you uh, save this browser to not be prompted again? Right. That's part of the 2FA process. Yeah. It's recognized this is, you know, a shared machine versus a private machine. Mm-hmm. That, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to hit me quite as hard. Here. Yeah. So provide your users if they want that additional security that every single time they log in, they could be prompted yeah. for that 2FA verification code. Well, it's one of the things I did with my, when I had, because I have multiple UB keys, is like I have the UB key that I carry with me that I mm-hmm. take in and out of my laptop that works for my phone and so forth. But on the workstation in my office, hidden in the back of the keyboard is one of the small touch UB keys. So uh, I don't have to think about it for that machine. Hmm. There's always a UB key sitting in it. Although you gotta know where it is. It's not mm-hmm. visible. Yeah. But when the UB key prompt comes up on that machine, I just know Dad. how to grope my keyboard the right way that it, <laughs> off it goes, right? Yeah. But it doesn't look like anything. But it's me recognizing that's a private machine. So I'm less concerned about, about it being locked all of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still has to authenticate. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Well, right now I'm going to be doing my talk here at NDC London on Friday. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear more, which this is not going out before my talk, but yeah. it will yeah. be out there on YouTube. There will sometime. be a recorded version yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. So that is a uh, two factor. And it'll, I tried to do a little uh, tie in to London. So it will be. Uh, a two two sides of two FA. It can be the best of security. It can be the worst of security. Oh, tell uh, two cities. I, I tried. Nice. I tried. I was like, it's London. I got Dickens, get- Dickens is buried right over there. Right? <laughs> We're right really by true. Westminster Abbey, and he's over there. I tried I don't to be think fancy. He approves. Yeah, like in London, it felt like I had to go fancy. Yeah, yeah, NDC, I had to go fancy, and so <laughs> kind of tweaked up the title with that. That's uh, awesome. Yep, and then otherwise, I'll just uh, be working at Flywheel and maybe have some other conferences yeah, during the sure. year. And I grabbed links to a lot of the techs we talked about, the, the OWASP and, and Bcrypt and things like that, so people can take a look at some of the tools you 
you've mentioned. Oh yeah, and uh, I will uh, provide a link to to my website, and I just had a blog post actually out on exactly developer best practices around 2FA. So it's a uh, kind of a takeaway post from my talk that I don't want people to have to go through the slides to really get the talk, and right. so I got that all out kind of in a post. Nice. Well, Christine Seaman, thank you for joining us on .NET Rocks. It's been great. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.